Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. GX Wolfi. If you enjoy this programming, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Join Truth and Rhythm's membership program through Patreon. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkinstuff.net. At that site, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funkin' Stuff merchandise and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I'm delighted to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership guitarist, Mike Scott, best known for his extensive work with Prince and the New Power Generation. Following 12 years of playing with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, he recorded and toured with Prince and the MPG from 1996 to 2001, and his performances with the group continued periodically until 2012. His Prince studio work includes the Emancipation, Exodus, New Power Soul, Crystal Ball, and Rave Into the Joy Fantastic Projects. In addition, he's worked with stars like Janet Jackson, Lionel Richie, Shaka Khan, Gladys Knight, Karen White, Alexandra O'Neill, Luther Vandross, Mary J. Blige, Beyonce, TLC, Patti LaBelle, Mariah Carey, Justin Timberlake, Rune 5, Alicia Keys, and Rihanna. Since Prince's passing in 2016, he has also performed with the reunited MPG. Mike, man, how are you? Hey, man, I'm good, Scott. Good to finally get to do this with you. We've been trying to pull this together for a minute here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I was not going to let you go, man. I got to track you down, brother. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I tracked you down in. Uh, you're in the Georgia near Atlanta, or whereabouts? Yeah, yeah. We're in Douglasville, Georgia. It's um, it's about uh, forty minutes from Atlanta uh, on a good day of traffic. Um, but yes, outside of Atlanta, nice little community, uh, kind of a rural, lot of trees, uh, me and my wife on eight acres of property. And it's just, uh, we love the, you know, not having the neighbors on top of us, you know? So I, I enjoy, uh, I enjoy Douglasville. It's a nice little city. Yeah. Well, um, I just want to let the viewers and listeners know just a little disclaimer. Mike's dealing with a little bit of a cold, so if his voice cracks or whatever, just bear with that. And I appreciate you doing this under those circumstances. Hey, man, I appreciate you bearing with me, bro, because I'm stuffed up here. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll try to blow it out with some uh, good talk about good times and, uh, you know, the funk gets you through, right? So That's right. So, Mike, uh, you grew up in D.C., is uh, my understanding. Uh, can you tell us how you gravitated toward music? 
Well, um, that's an interesting story, Scott. Uh, I had a, my sister and I grew up in DC with our parents, of course. And, uh, I had a babysitter, um, back when we were, we were young kids. Sorry, my nose was running. I had a babysitter, um, and her boyfriend played guitar in a local band. So when the, the girl would babysit us, her boyfriend would uh, interact with me and my sister as well. And one day, uh, his band played in a neighborhood park in my neighborhood. And uh, when I saw him in front of me doing this amazing thing, it just blew my mind. And thank God he was playing the guitar and not the oboe or flute or something, because I probably would be a flute player. But he was playing the lead guitar. And uh, since I knew him, I was able to connect. And I was, uh, I think I was about 10 10 then so i came home and told my dad i had to have a guitar and my dad went and got me a guitar uh my first guitar and i uh i started at it you know he of course he gave me the speech about you know how kids are they pick up something today and it's sitting in the corner a week from now so he gave me the speech all the way home made me cry uh but i really i really wanted to play guitar so I started playing, uh, just teaching myself a little bit. And uh, I ran to that, that guy's house, the babysitter. He lived near me up the street. And I ran to his house to show him that I had this new guitar. I'm like, wow, man, I got a guitar just like you. And I played uh, Superstition or something on one string. No, I played Lean on me on one string, you know, just going up and down the neck. And he completely crushed my dreams. <laughs> He said, he said, man, go home and practice. You got to learn how to play that. You know, you got to play all six strings. <laughs> I ran out of his house crying. Uh, but then I came back uh, maybe a year later and joined the same band that he was in when I was uh, 12 or 13. I started playing with that band uh, that my babysitter's guitar player used to play. His name, uh, we used to call him Tree. But uh, he was the inspiration to get me started. And my father was, uh, my father sent me out for some guitar lessons, uh, at, uh, a, a, as a neighborhood, uh, guitar teacher in my neighborhood. I took a few lessons and then I just started teaching myself from there. And then I was able to go to, uh, Duke Ellington School of the Performing Arts. By the time I turned, uh, you know, uh, 16, I went to Ellington from the 10th grade to the 12th grade. And that was also very instrumental in my, uh, learning and growing. But uh, when I first started, when I was a kid, to be able to play with those guys with my babysitter's boyfriend, um, uh, his name was Carlos Williams, and I played in his band, and they were all grown-ups. Uh, I learned a lot from them. And then I went on to join some other bands in my neighborhood uh, as a teenager. So when you came up, was that... Um after uh gogo's heyday because you know i think of dc that's one of the things that comes to mind no it was actually during um because i remember my sister and i going to see chuck brown uh at calorama skating rink back in the 70s and i had to be about 14 years old and chuck was chuck was running things back then um but then when i got out of high school I joined. I jumped into go go uh, the go go music scene. I used to play with Lil Benny and the Masters and a band called uh, Reds and the Boys. They were they were all very popular. There was Experience Unlimited. There was uh, uh, Rare Essence, Chuck Brown, and uh, 
they were all, you could go any night of the week and hear Go-Go from six in the evening to six in the morning. Chuck would play on Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays and he would play. He started playing about six. And then when he finished his set, he'd go play somewhere else. And then he finished that set, he'd go play somewhere else. And when he finished that set, he play somewhere else. So you could go anywhere and hear great go-go music uh, throughout throughout the day in D.C. So D.C., uh, yes, go-go music was running things uh, during that Chuck Brown period all through the, the late 70s, uh, 80s, all through the 80s. Chuck was the, the king of go-go. Yeah, so if you played in some of those groups, I would think that would really get you down with the groove and also the stamina, and well, you know. Yeah, it was a. Uh, it was actually. Um, I have to. Uh, you're absolutely right because part of the thing that that gave me success with Prince was the go-go element that I already had been raised on, mixed with uh, the knowledge he gave me with the Minneapolis influence music. So I was able to somehow combine the two to come up with, with something of my own that was unique and uh, obviously not available in Minneapolis, which uh, opened up a lot of doors for me at that time. So the go-go the go -go upbringing and uh, just the D.C. music scene uh, allowed me to go to Minneapolis and mix it up to uh, get uh, Prince what he wanted as a second guitarist, you know, I was able to give him um, the funk that he wanted. <laughs> yeah. And I have to really base it on uh, the blending of the styles that I was, I was raised on. Excuse me. Who were a couple of uh, players that you really idolized early on? Um, George Benson was a huge influence on me. Uh, there was a lot of great music out back then in the seventies. Uh, you know, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Ohio Players, uh, Sugarfoot was a very huge influence. Tony Maiden, guitarist with uh, Rufus and Shaka Khan, uh, a great, a huge influence. Ernie Isley was a huge influence. Uh, so where I was growing up, we were listening to a lot of, we listened to a lot of um, what were they calling it back? Soul music back then. Um, you know, skin tight by Ohio players. We were listening to a bar case, Holy Ghost, all that kind of stuff. So uh, Prince's style of music, the Minneapolis style of music wasn't popular in D.C. area until the Purple Rain, not only the album, but the movie came out. The movie is what won Washingtonians over by storm because we still weren't, uh, Prince wasn't our... Uh, he just wasn't in our our daily playlist, <laughs> like uh, uh, "Tell Me Something Good" by Shaka Khan or or uh, uh, "Skin Tight" by Ohio Players or uh, uh, "Shining Star" by Earth, Wind, and Fire. All great songs with great guitar parts, and that's the kind of stuff that influenced me in my upbringing. And like I said, George Benson was a very huge influence, and my father used to listen to uh, this jazz guitarist. Uh, damn it! I, his name slips my mind right now. Uh, West Montgomery. Kenny Burrell. Kenny Burrell was also a, a, my father. Listened to a lot of Kenny Burrell, and uh, so I had a nice, nice little smorgasbord of music. But going to Duke Ellington School of the Arts, those those people there, the students there, introduced me to 
of styles of music that I was not aware of growing up in my neighborhood. My older sister used to listen to the soul music, but Ellington, those kids were listening to ACDC and Queen and Kiss and uh, uh, Journey and uh, uh, that kind of stuff. So I was, my mind got blown when I got to Ellington in 78, 77, 78, 79, because I wasn't familiar with all this music. And then the musicians that went to Ellington, they were listening to even broader stuff like jazz, like uh, Chick Corea and uh, 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 the electric band or uh, Chick Corea and Return uh, Forever. Return to Forever. Oh my God. When I heard that stuff, I was like, what the hell? What planet is this music from? Because I've been listening to Sugarfoot play with Ohio players. <laughs> I didn't know there was stuff like this that existed. So, Ellington uh, opened up my mind to a lot of uh, more diverse music than I I was accustomed to in my upbringing, you know, in my neighborhood in Washington, D.C. Excuse me. <laughs> so, yeah, I uh, I listened to a lot of different stuff in the uh, 70s and 80s, and it helped influence my playing. One, one, of my, one of my favorite bands, I think, out of D.C. was uh, the Blackbirds. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, doing it in the park. Rock Creek Park. Oh, yeah. Rock Creek Park. I think that was the do, 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 do. I think that was the Blackbirds. It was, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. From Howard University, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so um, Mike, what were some, you know, notable experiences you had musically before uh meeting jimmy jam and terry lewis well um i played i was playing with a lot of bands in washington dc area at the time that i moved to minneapolis i moved to minneapolis in 92 and i was playing with a band called finesse i used to play with juicy i don't know if you remember juicy they had out uh their big hit was uh i'm sugar free do 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 we did Soul Train. We did all that. Uh, they had a, a number one top 20 hit back in the 80s. I toured with them for a while, but I came back to D.C. with Finesse and just doing the local scene. But there was this group called Radiant. They left D.C. to go through the Marriott circuit around the country. And our first Marriott gig was in Minneapolis. So we got there uh, like, you know, Mid Condition was there, Jam and Lewis was there, Prince was there, uh, Sounds of Blackness were there. It was just a smorgasbord of all these amazing people that that influenced my music career. So the band ended up breaking up. Uh, the Marriott thing fell through, and they all went back to D.C. And I said, man, I am not going back to D.C. <laughs> I'm staying here in Minneapolis. So it was the best uh Thank God it was the best decision I ever made in my career. Cause I from then on, uh, there's a guitarist in Minneapolis named uh David Berry. He played guitar with Janet Jackson and he was Jam and Lewis's house session guy. He went out on tour with Janet and every gig he had in Minneapolis. I think I probably got every gig he had. And that led me up to, uh, I started playing with the Steels. I know, I know you are Prince fans for me with the Steels. I started playing with the Sounds of Blackness. Uh, I used to play with a reggae group, a very famous reggae group called Ipso Facto. All these groups are in Minneapolis. So once I got with Sounds of Blackness, 
that led me to they were they were uh, um, uh, their record label was Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis's Flight Time Records. Also, Mid Condition was on Flight Time Records, also and Nesby. And so, once I started playing with the Sounds of Blackness, that led me to open some doors with Jimmy Jam and Lewis because they needed a guitarist to do some sessions. And Sounds were rehearsing at Flight Time, so that uh, allowed me to start playing with. Uh, uh, I, Jam Lewis had they every day I was in there. There'd be Janet Lionel. Uh, I could sit here and name Destiny's Child. It was just in every studio there was somebody recording every day. So it was all that was all a blessing, and it was a a, a wonderful time for me to come to Minneapolis in 1992 because it opened up a lot of doors, and it was this very popular group that Dave Barry used to play with in Minneapolis called the Stud Brothers. And they were they they would have a line around the block. So when Dave left with Janet, that was the first big gig in Minneapolis I got with the Stud Brothers. And uh it led to uh so many other things happening. Just I would play with whoever was whoever was paying, I was playing. That was my motto. If they're paying, I'm playing. <laughs> That's so a good I one. Go, I like it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and Prince had a uh, Prince had a uh, well, he didn't have a band in Minneapolis. Uh, people that go to Minneapolis know uh, Bunkers Nightclub, and uh, Doctor Marble's Combo used to play there on Sundays and Mondays, and it had a lot of Prince's band members. The the Ford Heads were in there, Michael Bland, Sonny T was in the band. Tommy, I think Tommy was in the band at some point, uh, but they were they were a great uh, club band that played on Sundays and Mondays at Bunkers, and I remember the first the first week I was in Minneapolis, the band I was there with took took us to see them play, and they were so funky because it was Prince's band basically. I was like, oh my god, they're so funky, and I said, I want to sit in, and uh, one of the guys I was with was like, man, they don't let nobody sit in. And I went over to Michael Bland. I said, hey, brother, it's a pleasure to meet you. I want to sit in. And Michael Bland was like, hey, if you that confident, come on up. <laughs> and I went up and played like three or four songs with them. And uh, it was amazing because those it was Prince's band, basically. And they, they were like the top of the food heap, the, the, the top of the of, uh, uh, food chain in Minneapolis. Uh, Dr. Marble's combo was the baddest band in Minneapolis at the time because it was Prince's band. So a lot of doors opened up in from 92 to uh, to the time I left Minneapolis, uh, just all the way up to Prince, who was the top. He was the very top of the food chain. So uh, by the grace of God, I was able to play with damn near every band in Minneapolis. I played with anybody, everybody. The Sounds of Blackness, Jam and Lewis. Uh, you know, I played with Mint a little bit. Uh, me and Stokely uh, did a lot of things together in other bands. Um, just every every band that was in Minnesota, I tried to play with <laughs> until I got to Prince. And uh, and it, like I said, it was by the grace of God. Yeah, I almost didn't get the gig though, because Kirk Johnson called me for the gig with Prince. Uh, he said he called me on a Wednesday. Said it might come out, you know, come on out jam with Prince in the band tonight. And I was like, man, I got a gig. He called me around six and I was like, I can't. I got a gig tonight, you know. And he said, Oh man. I said, What about tomorrow? 
He said, man, this is not a tomorrow thing. This is a right now. This is a today opportunity. And I said, oh, man, I can't. I got a gig. So I'm getting, I'm loading my stuff into my car. I'm thinking like, wait, well, wait, wait, wait. I'm about to pass up a chance to play with Prince to do a $75 gig here. And once I smacked myself back to reality, I, went, I called the guy. I told him I couldn't make it. He was he was pissed, of course, because, you know, it's too late to get a sub. I went on out and jammed with, uh, with Prince and them on a Wednesday. And Cat uh, Dice and Ronda. Uh, Kirk Johnson on drums, and it was funky. It was it was fun. We jammed uh, Wednesday. He asked me to come back to rehearsal Thursday, and I believe Friday. And then on Saturday, we were on a plane headed to New York. And he had never said to me once that you're in the band. He never said uh, you're in the band. <laughs> but we went to go do uh, Good Morning America or something. And I didn't have clothes or anything. You know, I just had my regular street clothes. They all dressed up. We're going to go on. The, it was a, the the episode where Prince was dressed as Brian Gumble. I know you remember that one. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it was my first gig with them. <clears throat> and I didn't have on anything. And it was a coat. We would get ready to walk on stage. There's a coat hanging there. And yeah, somebody had a three-quarter length long trench coat. He had me put that on. And uh, he sent the wardrobe lady Bonnie up to get a hat. And I put a hat on one of his hats. And he said, you look like a Baptist church minister. And he, he, he said, Reverend, <laughs> you're like a Baptist church reverend. And that's why Reverend Scott was born that day. So uh, that's how that I, I got that that title of Reverend Scott. <laughs> well, that takes care of that question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh so it, you uh, came after, uh, was it Levi or, or, or Miko, or who'd you come yeah, after? Well, well, Miko was in one of the um, versions of Revolution. Um, NPG, in my opinion, the baddest band Prince ever had, consisted of Levi Caesar on guitar, Sonny T on bass, Michael Bland, Tommy Barbarella, Mr. Hayes, and the Hornheads, uh, and Kirk Johnson, and uh, 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 Damon, you know, and, and Tony. To me, that was the baddest version, and I think that was the original version of the NPG when they first were created, because the revolution was before them. Uh, so Levi was playing guitar. Then when Prince started the next version of NPG, it was Cat Dyson, Rhonda Smith, and Kirk Johnson on drums. And that's when I came in. And Mr. Hayes was on keys. And I came in then, in 96. So I would say we were the second, we were the second version of the NPG. And and how did Prince communicate to you what he really wanted out of guitar? Well, <clears throat> That first jam, uh, he just let me do what I wanted. They were funking, and I was just adding what I I add, I did what I do, and he was just loving. It. He was loving everything that I was playing. And I was I was just really happy about that. Um, and so a lot of times he would show me and Cat what he wanted us to play. He would give us an opportunity to play something funky or play what he needed to hear, as if he was playing guitar. So. Uh, that was me and Cat Dyson, and uh, I was our pretty much sole function. If Prince put his guitar down, he still wanted to be just as funky as if he was playing. So 
uh, he would dictate, like I said, you could either come up with something funky or he would tell you to play something funky. Um, and uh, he was very, uh, you know, a lot of times I, I would play the right things. Sometimes he would want a, a specific thing. So it worked out. Hmm. We had a good understanding. And what was the first time you were in the studio with him, Mike? Um, well, that's an interesting question because a lot of times you'd be in the studio and not realize you were in the studio. <laughs> like he would, uh, he would just say, uh, Mike, play this part. And I'd play that part. And next thing I know, it's on a record. And I didn't even know that it, we were recording a record, you know, it just, uh, it would just happen. But the first time Prince and I both sat down together and worked out a song was the greatest romance ever been told. Um, for some reason, he said he, he said he couldn't come up with anything on that. Or he had to try to come up with anything. He wanted to see what I could come up with. So uh, I laid down a, a few parts through the whole song. And then he came in the room with uh, myself and Hans. And we uh, we just, you know, he's like, I like that. And then, or do something else right here. And I do something else. And I like that. And then we get to the next session. He'd be like, what you got there? And I'd do something and he would either keep it or say, do something else. So uh, the greatest romance is a special song for me because Prince and I both, we kind of worked that guitar out. Uh, it's a lot of guitar on that song. And we worked that out together. I did the playing and he either liked the ideas or he didn't or he asked me to some, do something different. But uh, we worked that song out together. He was sitting in the booth and he was just listening to what I uh, what I brought to the table, and we chopped it up until we came up with that that beautiful guitar on that song. Yeah, that's a great track. I think it should have been a bigger hit than it was even, but yeah, it yeah. should have been. Um, it was a big hit in some places, not every place. I remember going to a, a see a band play in D.C. and they actually covered that song, and uh, it was pretty cool to hear them cover that song, but. Uh, yeah, it was a great song. It didn't get the it didn't get the uh acclaim that it should and that it deserved. Yeah, errors didn't quite come through like uh had been hoped on that project, unfortunately. But uh yeah. um yeah. so when you came in in '96, I mean that was a pivotal year for Prince because it was his first year free of Warner Brothers and Emancipation, emancipation <laughs> Project yes. and the and the yeah. Jam of the Year tour and all yeah. that. Yeah. Um so that must have been a um I mean, I know he had some personal things going on around that time too, but aside from that, creatively and musically, must have been a joyous, joyous time for Prince, I would think. Yeah, uh, yeah, because he was celebrating his uh, his freedom from Warner Brothers and the Emancipation album. In my opinion, that was a great record, uh, and it allowed him to express a lot of. Uh, he seemed like he was expressing a lot of uh, emotion and feeling that he couldn't while he was still under that Warner Brother uh, contract. But, uh, yeah, that was a great time. It was a really great time, uh, Emancipation uh, album release. I came right at that time. I didn't get to record on the album, but I did get to play most of the songs from that album. You went out on the Jam of the Year tour, uh, some yes. of it or all of it? or Yes, yeah. 
did the jam of the year. It was a, it was just a whirlwind because <laughs> my life went from uh, my life went from like cruising speed, like twenty five in the city, to like seventy five on the highway, just in a, in a flash. So it was I was hanging on pretty much by the skin of my nails, and it was uh, I mean, it was so fast when after we left Minneapolis that first week, I got in the band on a Wednesday. By Monday, we were playing in my hometown in D.C., which was great for me. Great, a great moment in life and time. But after we did that gig, I was on Prince's tour bus and I said, uh, sir, we, you know, we never he never even said you're in the band. He never said to me once, welcome to the band. <laughs> they just told me to pack a bag and get a plane on Saturday when we were going to New York. And uh, we had never talked business. So when I finally got to tell him, I said, we never discussed uh, salary or anything. And he told us, he told uh, this, his bodyguard, I said, Mike, make a check. <laughs> the guy gave me the check. I'm looking at the check. I looked at Prince. I said, uh, am I supposed to pay the whole band out of this? Because I, I really, I had never made that much money. And I, I thought I really was supposed to pay Kirk and Morris and Ron and Cat. He laughed. He thought that was so funny. He said, Mike just asked me, is he supposed to pay the rest of the band? Because we never, we never, he never officially said, you're in the band. <laughs> it just kind of just happened, you know. And Jam of the Year just was on top of me. And I really just, really never got to catch my breath. It was like taking off in a rocket ship and you're trying to get your seatbelt on while the ship is blasting off from Earth. You should have already been in your seat with your seatbelt on. I'm still trying to put mine on. <laughs> it was that fast. So some of those dates I uh, had Santana on them, as I recall. Uh, Santana set in a couple of times. Yes, Santana. Uh, he said it a couple of times. I think we we had a lot of guests during my time with Prince. Uh, George Benson sat in with us once. Um, Larry Graham was uh, just amazing. I so idolized Larry Graham and Graham Central Station. So when he got in the band, I couldn't believe I was sharing a stage. I think I was more excited to be on stage with Graham than I was a Prince. But, <laughs> uh, you know, Shaka was there for a while. Uh, Lenny was there for a while. You know, uh, that Raven to the Joy, fantastic. You know that one. So yeah, um, Santana sat in a couple of times, but the 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 couple of times that he did, I think he had me sit it out, you know, like because if Prince and Santana were playing, he felt there wasn't any need for me to be on stage, also. <laughs> so <clears throat> I sat out uh, with with Santana sat in. So you're in this crazy whirlwind, nuts situation. Um, was there some point? like where you felt like you got a little bit of um, more, you know, um, relaxed time with Prince where you got a better sense of him? Well, yeah. <clears throat> yes, there definitely was a point. Um, throughout the time I was with Prince, he probably fired me at least three times, maybe four, um, for different reasons. You know, the first time I was let go from NPG was totally my fault made a mistake but uh 
the other times were uh, situations beyond my control. Like my mom was dying of cancer and they were about to go out on tour and I, I couldn't make rehearsals. So he had to let me go. Uh, but uh, the first time he let me go, it was a rude awakening that I needed to tighten up my shoes, my, you know, my, my shoe strings and, and buckle down and just focus more on the music instead of riding the, uh, this this star high I was on, you know, just hanging out with this superstar. So uh, once I got my mess together, I was able to focus. And uh, so, yes, me and him came to a better understanding after I, I explained to him that I was serious and I was only here for the music. I was here only for the music and not for all the other bullshit. So once him and I got past that, it it became real easy for him and I to work together. Like he would, uh, if he asked me to play something, uh, he'd say, Mike, try this. And uh, he would play it. And then he'd say, play it back for me. And I said, no, no, just count the band in. And I would go ahead and just hit it. And he, I think he was always impressed that I could play stuff just with him telling me one time to play something. I would never have to demo it for him. I'd just play it. But uh, we got to where... We had an understanding was he would just let me do what I he knew I would do what he wanted me to do. Once I got once I got to understand that Prince wanted to hear, if he put his guitar down, he wanted it to stay just as funky as if he was still playing. So I tried to come to an understanding of the way he approached his rhythm guitar. And I would just keep it funky, keep it simple. And uh we had a good understanding of that. We had a good understanding. That's if pretty. Put, that's pretty intense. His, yeah, if he put his guitar down, it was gonna still stay funky. Right, and that was my that was my job. <laughs> Do you remember a couple of uh, shows that really just stand out to you as being especially unforgettable? <clears throat> no, nope, I don't. They were all amazing. And I, I couldn't I could never say one was more amazing than another because each night Chris was amazing each night. We were uh I can't speak for the whole band, but I think I can say we were all amazed as we just as amazed as amazed at what he would do live as the audience was because he was he was amazing every night. Um he was always on a hundred every night. There was never a 90% night or 95% night. Prince, you would get 100% from Prince every night. And uh, I can honestly say I have no favorite show because they were all amazing. Even the after-party shows, they were they were just uh, incredible. Did, did he pull you into the studio at all, like when you're on the road sometimes, just to lay down uh, tracks? <laughs> um. No, I can't ever remember. I can't say I ever remember us recording outside of Paisley Park because, uh, yeah, I don't ever remember recording with him anywhere else except Paisley. And if he did that, he never did that with, with me. I mean, because he's got this amazing facility, you know, he's got Paisley Park. So I can't see him going anywhere else where he would be comfortable, you know, who's more comfortable, what place is more comfortable than your home, you know? Well, but so, I just think sometimes he might be on the road and inspiration hits him, you know? 
kind of yeah. thing? Yeah. Um, to my recollection, if it ever, inspiration ever hit him, we would just go back to Paisley. <laughs> we would fly back to Minneapolis and go record. I really don't remember. Like I said, if it was, if it did happen, it didn't involve me. Um, because Prince used to say to me on several occasions, he'd always say, uh, yeah, Mike Scott, I play guitar, you know. I play guitar. And I, it translated to me as if, uh, I don't need you now. <laughs> You're here, <laughs> but I don't need you. So, you know. Yeah. What, what was it so, like? That, I'm, the point I'm making is that if he did go in the studio somewhere else, he would need me to go in and play. He would do all the guitar play. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I got you. Um, do you remember the uh, Exodus project? Exodus, yes. That was one of my favorite CDs NPG ever did. Uh, and Sonny T is all over that thing, man. It's a, it's that, a serious, funky record. That's I mean, a that serious, is... funky. We never, the, in the versions of MPG I did with him, we never played any of those songs. But I loved that album. And I was actually able to play a lot of those songs with uh, NPG and Sonny after Prince died. Um, just as recent as last year, we did a bunch of stuff off the Exodus album. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to hear that stuff live. Oh, um, yeah. It's, yeah. That's some funky mess there, boy. Yeah. yeah. Sonny, T, Sonny T was beating up all that stuff. And, uh, you know, with Prince's guidance, of course. But uh, to me, that was the best version of NPG that Prince ever had. And that's my opinion, that that version of NPG. Uh, I know you heard the joke. Uh, somebody in Revolution said, I don't remember who, and I hope they don't mind me quoting it. Somebody said, if you NPG like cockroaches, if you kill one, three more show up. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> well... Did you know at the time that those tracks were going to be for an MPG project or was it just part of all the recording that was going on? What, Exodus? Yeah. No, uh, I wasn't in the band when they did any of the Exodus stuff. Oh, okay. I misunderstood. Yeah, that was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, name a couple of tracks off the Exodus album. Uh, Return of the Bump Squad, um, The Exodus Has Begun. Um, yeah. That was that was uh that was the Sonny T uh, Morris Tommy Levi. Okay, that uh, was earlier before you were there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, my bad. That was well, just a year before you were there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Still so, a great album though. New Power Soul, were you involved in that one? Yes. Okay. Uh I think Marvin King was in the band then. Um See, at that time, the thing that was going on, Scott, we would go in, we would go in, if Prince had an idea, it may just be a drum beat, and he would have me play, uh, like, for instance, on 18 and over, he had me do a guitar part, and uh, next thing I knew, it was on a, a recording, I hadn't heard it with vocals, horns, or anything, and I didn't even know, you know, you never knew what, you couldn't say, Prince, what album is this going on? He he would he would tell you. So when we would go in, when he would have me come to the studio record, I didn't know 
I had no clue what was going on. I wouldn't know until the rock till the album came out. I'd be like, oh, that's that song we did that day. You, you know, I didn't know uh what record, what album it was gonna be on, uh even the song title. He would just tell you to come in and do something. You know, like we get done with rehearsal, he'd say, Mike, uh, he just stay behind and uh come to studio A. Go in studio A. They'd hook you up. He'd roll a track, and you play something, and then you dismissed. <laughs> Don't ask no questions. So when it would come out, you'd be as surprised as the fans were. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Were you uh, Were you there for that recording uh, that happened? Where it was, uh, I forgot what it was called, New Power Soul, but it was when those three records came out, and they did that video that had. Graham in it and Shocky in it and Prince and it was shot at Paisley probably. Wait a minute, it wasn't that rave concert, right? Because Shaka wasn't on that rave. No, it was like a year before that. Uh, wait, you said it was three? It was like to uh, mark those three records coming out, the New Power Soul, the Shaka Khan, the Larry Graham. Okay, I did play, I played on Shaka's uh, I think D song. Dougie Fresh, Dougie Fresh made an appearance yeah, too. Yeah, I was there. I was there. I was there during that time, and I actually played. I know I played on something with Shaka on her record. Uh, but like I said, Scott, I'm not kidding you. You, <clears throat> if we were there today, and you were in the band, he would tell us, um, Scott, come in the studio, and uh, they'd start a track, and he'd say, "Play something on this." You'd play something. And then he'd be okay. Thank you. And then you leave. You you don't you don't just you know you don't even hang around. You, if you went to studio A and hung out, he'd probably be like, oh, "Why are you still here?" Because and, and he wouldn't tell you if you said, "What was that for?" You would get no answers. What what album is that going on? Is that something? Uh, who who's going to sing that? You would get nothing. So I didn't ask questions. I just did what I was told. And I was where I was supposed to be. So even so, the point I'm making is when that when that record you're speaking of came out, <laughs> I played on a I probably played on two or three of those songs. I just didn't realize that's that was going to be the end result of it. There's much more to this great Truth and Rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends and become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinslift.net. Thank you very much.